Unspoken Issues. Rock and roll. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Unspoken Issues podcast. And this go round, by golly, we are heading into D.C. circa... 1992. This is called Panic in the Sky. So we got a great epic story here that's taking place throughout Action Comics, the Superman comics. Now, I did not propose this one. This one was a Dean Compton especial. That's right. So, Dean, welcome back, of course, to the Unspoken Issues. First off, everybody, it wouldn't be a party without me. Let's be honest. You're like, oh, welcome back. Of course I'm here. What would you do (laughs) if I wasn't? The reason I chose Panic in the Sky is... I think that like when we talk about Superman in the 1990s, for better or for worse, you know, like you just said, the death of Superman storyline, that's what everybody focuses on for the most part. But you can argue, and, and, and you know, our guest Matt Price, a much bigger Superman guy than I, this was like a halcyon era for Superman. This is arguably like the, the, the creative apex of Superman, maybe at any time. Like you would talk about this, you could talk about the... Uh, uh, more Weisinger stuff. You can talk about the uh, very early days of, you know, Crusader Superman. I cannot fly. I only jump. And I respect that. And I think that the panic in the sky is a really important uh, aspect of it. I think this is a really cool spot where I don't know why, but for some reason it feels like early on after the crisis in the early 1990s, DC wanted to keep Superman a little more insular. And so this was a great time when like all of these guys came into uh, the Superman books, and he got to, re- you know, and he got to like basically lead the superheroes on his terms in his books against his bad guys. Really, you know, kind of uh, re-cementing Superman as like the guy in the DC universe. I also chose it because uh, it's a tremendous amount of fun, fairly nonstop. It's interesting to compare it to another crossover happening almost simultaneously, the Infinity Gauntlet, which is also about the superheroes going out into space to challenge a tyrant of sorts. Uh, slightly less less death here, just a little bit, but uh, <laughs> I like that about it. I think, like I said, I think it's a lot of fun. You get to see all these guys interact, have their little moments, and also, like personally speaking, this was about when I was first getting uh, really. Uh, super getting into uh, comic books themselves. Like the year before, I'd started getting into the cards. I bought the Marvel cards. And I didn't get as much into DC because, to be frank, their cards were not very good off the bat. And so, but I was flipping through one of these issues, and it's the one where... uh, when we first see the Earth team, which we'll get into later, and it's Batman, and I somehow knew it was Nightwing. I didn't know who anybody else was, and I was flipping through this, and they're like, we're going to do Aquaman, a new Aquaman. All right, but right. Uh, we're going to do this now. And I was, like, mesmerized. I was like, maybe there's something in D.C. that I should take a gander at after all. And so that was a big step for me to not just be interested in, like, Marvel characters and the bigger DC guy at the time, Batman, but maybe this universe was very interesting to me. And as it turns out, much like everything else that we ever discuss on this podcast, I was right. <laughs> well, yeah, like you said, we're not alone. Matt Price, Matthew Price, welcome to the Unspoken Issues podcast, sir. Glad to have you here. You ready to talk some Superman panic in the sky? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. <clears throat> As Dean mentioned, I've been a big Superman fan for a long time, and I think this is one of the high points of the uh I don't know, pre-death era, if you want to call it, uh, sort of between when uh, they rebooted uh, in Man of Steel and then into the death period. That's actually, that whole era is pretty strong. I was I have collected pretty much that whole era of comics, but this is, uh, as Dean said, it does a nice job of moving the pieces and kind of putting Superman in as a leader of the DC Universe as opposed to just kind of his own thing, which I think is a... a uh, a role a lot of people like him in. So, I mean, if this is a fun story, I think we'll enjoy talking about it. I'm wearing my Chris Reeve shirt for this uh, radio nice. broadcast. 
Um, I'm wearing the so, Vault of Horror shirt, which is cool, but has nothing to do with Panic in the Sky. <laughs> Although you feel like that could have been the title of a Vault of Horror story. Well, yeah, Panic in the Sky. That's a good title. Yeah. Well, Matt, tell me a little bit. I mean, okay, Superman, was he the guy for you ever since you started reading comics, or, or what's up there? Pr- pretty much as a kid. I mean, I've become a big Captain America fan as well, and Superman and Cap are kind of my main guys. But as a kid, I think I must have started seeing Superman on Super Friends, the cartoon. And then as the movie came out, the Christopher Reeve movie, I was still pretty little kid. And according to my parents, I just harassed them nonstop until I took them to see that movie. Uh, you know, depending on when you, you guys may have seen, I don't know. I saw it at an age where I was just like, well, this is obviously the awesomest thing anybody's ever right. made about anything. Right. And from there on became just a big, I was into all kinds of superheroes. But Superman was kind of the, the gateway into all that. And I like that he does, you know, the right things for the right reasons. You know, like the investigative reporter tropes. I worked at a newspaper for a good chunk of my career. So for whatever, whether that was a chicken or an egg situation, I'm not sure. But um, I always enjoyed those types of stories and seeing what type when they would do sort of their investigative journalism. So, yeah, just I've always been a big fan of the character. There's obviously ways I, you know, like anybody, any character you're a fan of for a long time, there's versions you like better than others. But I do think this 90s version it has, you know, it's pretty good. They had great creators back then on on them. You know, it looks good. I think the stories are pretty good. And they did that basically weekly Superman book for 10, 15 years, depending on how you count, I suppose, mm-hmm. which is impressive. And I think was helpful at the time as far as just maintaining sort of that weekly comic book store trip. You know, people would be like, OK, well, yeah, I'll go. I'll go in every week. So I can at least get, I'll get my Superman. You know, there'll be a right. Superman out. Do you remember so, like, yeah. the titles didn't really do that at the time? Like not until like nightfall, everything was kind of self-contained. So, right. Yes, Batman, just... there might have almost been a title every week, but it's not like they flowed from exactly. The there's no triangle number on the front being right. like, oh, there's just sort of like nightfall. Nightfall had yeah. the number and everything. And, but yeah, that's a neat thing to me too, is that they basically put out a weekly comic book, which is, you know, uh crazy to think about, honestly, at any time on this side of the pond. It's very common in the UK, but like it might be an argument when people argue that like editors may have too much power. This is a really good example of how an editorial vision can really get the best out of a disparate array of creators because you've got Dan Jurgens, you've got Louis Simonson, Roger Stern, Jerry Ordway. I'm I'm a black in names now. Carl Kessel's going to come along. I can't pronounce John Bogdanovo's last name. Somebody else will get it for me. I got a lot of experts around here. But, like, do you think that's an argument for, like, editorial vision versus, like, total creator freedom? I mean, I think it depends on what you're doing. And I think the Superman books at the time were a good example of treating it a lot like a TV show. Okay, you're going to write your episode, and you write your episode, and you write your episode, and it's all going to kind of flow together. Um, Almost more like TV now than TV then, because obviously TV in the 90s didn't have as many overarching subplots, but this really did. Every week you'd have your subplots, but then each group maybe had some characters that were more theirs, some villains that were more theirs. For Panic in the Sky, you don't see the subplots as much, right? um, because it's, it's all kind of the one big brainiac thing. But it was a good example of, okay, so you have your stuff that you can play with and you know it's kind of yours to mess with. And then we're also just moving this overall plot forward. I mean, where would you rank Brainiac in the rogues gallery for Superman? Top three, top five? Where are you putting that, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, he's two. Okay. How about you, Dean? 
Yeah, he's probably number two. You know, I mean, I mean, this guy has he's been around forever. He's been through different incarnations. We've seen him in different ways. He, he his progeny will become a good guy at one point. You know, I mean, so he, I think I think he's not just number two because of the threat he has to Superman, but also his position within the mythos. He's been very, very developed. Personally, I like his superpowers look with that like robot brain guy. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well. So yeah, okay. I, mean, I think what your arguments are Luthor and then Zod right. and then maybe Doomsday, who's a latecomer. But I think Brainiac, given his timeline, and everything for me, he's two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mitchell uh, so, probably you know deserves a mention. Uh, so this is '92. Now, mind you, for me personally, '92 Superman, early '92 Superman. I don't know what's going on. Now, I recognize some of the characters we're going to be getting in here because of the death of Superman. Some of these characters are mainstays after that that show up, and I had the chance to read that a while back and cover it on the podcast. Obviously, we're, there's a lot of players throughout Panic in the Sky. There are a, a, a good bit of the established DC superheroes that we know. They don't have huge parts, but, I mean, they're playing a part in the overall narrative here. But there are some characters that uh, aren't usually like they, they certainly weren't on my radar back in in 90s and 90s dc i knew all the big guys batman superman but when you start talking about matrix uh when you start talking about maxima these are characters that are pretty i think you don't they know have agent a, liberty you're not a big agent liberty guy who's this guardian dude i don't know who this guy I, is that's I, sacrilege guardian <laughs> <laughs> Who's this Bibbo guy? No, I'm just kidding. I know, I know the Bibbo. Uh, Bibbo also great. But anyway, so just bear with me because my ignorance. I'll be learning from you guys tonight, so I, you know, just just be aware. But uh, that's kind of where I'm at. Ninety in 1990s DC's. Unfortunately, I'm not. I'm not entrenched in knowing what's going on in the Superman, Batman, Justice League. Have no idea what's going on over here in early 90s DC. Uh, so this was a treat. This was something I'd never read before. Oh, lucky you. It's really, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, I had a good time. So I remember the first time I read it, I read the old uh, trade paperback, me and, uh, you know, that I, I showed y'all a copy of it earlier. And, like, I was at this guy's house, and, like, I was uh, six, I was 15, and he was, like, 20. So that meant he had, like, money, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, he had, buddy. Like, 20 <laughs> trade paperbacks, right? Right. And like, um, uh, and so like, he's like, yeah, do you want to borrow Panic in the Sky? Do I want to borrow Panic Whoa. in the Sky? Absolutely. I would like to borrow Panic in the Sky. And right. I didn't even get to borrow it because I just disassociated and like read it that night while we, while I was, people were supposed to be playing Dungeons and Dragons. I just, I just read Completely. this comic book. <laughs> oh, I can help it. It's a lot of fun. That's what I'm saying. Lucky you. It really draws you in. I mean, I'm not going to sit here. Like nobody's going to compare it to, you know, some all time classic, but uh, you know, like, oh, this is a must read masterpiece, but within the realm of just solid, solid, really good superhero stuff. You can't, you can't do much better. I think I read it as it was coming out. I think by this point I was working at the comic book store, which eventually became my comic book store. And I think I was just picking up the Superman titles as it came out. So, okay. So you're still um, picking up so the Superman like, titles as they come out. Yeah, basically. <laughs> as I remember kind of, I think picking it up because you've got that, you know, the one cool cover where it's everybody you know, kind of running at the, and that's a great cover. And then you've got the next month, they're all skeletons. You're like, whoa, what's going on yeah, here? So, yeah. yeah. There's the some Boom really Tube cover on the epilogue is epic too. Yeah. Right? Right. So I think I, I might, it's possible that I might have missed one, but I was pretty much picking up the Superman titles, and I think I was at the comic book store by this point, so I think I pretty much got them all. And okay. then I've read it several times since. For me, and this is just a quick aside before we get into the whole, it's a little bit, Dean, like uh, like watching a Royal Rumble. It's just like, oh, yes. who's showing up next? Oh, who's, oh, it's this guy? This guy's coming in. 
And like maybe sometimes it's Andre the Giant, and maybe sometimes it's Red Rooster. But either way, for a second, oh, this guy, it's this guy right. going down. And who so cares who of... it is? Because like you know, <laughs> even if it's the Red Rooster and the guy before that was the Macho King Randy Savage, the best incarnation of Randy Savage. Like it's all about seeing them interact, you know. Like maybe yeah. the metal men aren't any players, but they don't talk to Deathstroke very often. So let's see. Right. It. So yeah. it's a different mix than you get at just your average episode of whatever wrestling show you watch. You're getting like. Yeah, the, it's the Metal Men, and they're with Deathstroke, and there's Wonder Woman, and what have they all been together? Right. And Agent right. Liberty! And Agent, and Agent Liberty! <laughs> boy, oh boy. There was, yeah, I, I did not go in-depth on, like, who the teams were, so if you guys want to do that and start naming, naming them off, because I think I know, I could do Earth teams pretty easy, because I, I looked at that, and I was like, there ain't too many people there. But boy, when we get out in space... They, they take a lot the of guys to space, and some of the guys <laughs> that wind up in space weren't there at the original meeting. Metamorpho's <laughs> oh. not there. How the hell did he get into space? <laughs> did he just gas his way to space? I respect it if he did. Hey, he that'd be... And that wow. reminds me of a time yeah. when I did not go to baseball practice, and then the coach said, you can't come play in the game, because you didn't go to practice metamorpho should not have been allowed to go to space he should have had to stay on earth yeah because he was not there at the meeting coach super he might have been a chair or something it's that's fair you know what that's fair he could have been he could have been a visible gas right yeah i don't remember who all was on each team but i remember that like i remember I, I guess i do remember i couldn't name them off i didn't list them off but like the space team is like basically anybody who has any strength whatsoever so you get the superman you get uh largan the daxamite and captain marvel shazam who honestly like i love this story but i'm like could the three of these guys just handle it just gone in there and just merge <laughs> some guys wonder woman Kilowa, guy gardner fire ice deathstroke rocket red uh booster gold metamorpho the metal men uh will payton starman flash that's all I remember. Oh, Guardian and Agent Liberty are there. I don't remember anybody else off the top of my head, but that's the that's wow. the space team as I remember them. Hell of a run down there. Well, let's do some character introductions first, okay? Because, like I said, Matrix, all right? So here's what I wrote down for Matrix. A protoplasmic shapeshifter who once took the form of Supergirl and fought alongside Superman. When you are introduced in this book, I'll... I don't know if I put that in here or not, but I, I know that we, all of a sudden I see Superman out in space. And he's getting in a bar fight and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Well, hey, guess what? It's not Superman. It's Matrix. I mean, there's a whole there's a lot of backstory. <laughs> and then there's actually a lot of front story that happens after this. Right. That's even that's even more confusing. I think for the yeah, later she'll story, be an angel. Right. It's just okay. like, why, don't bring don't worry about that now. <laughs> no, it's fine. We're not, we're not talking about that right now. She has a skateboard, too, but that matters less. <laughs> but no, she's from an alternate universe, as I recall, and there's a whole story of how she shows up. And they Anyway, they, they were having a hard time reintroducing Supergirl in the 90s because they had so dramatically killed her off in Crisis, right. and they didn't want to just bring her back as the same, but they also wanted to have a Supergirl character for a lot of reasons. The uh, way they did it was they brought in this character, this you know protoplasmic shape-shifting character from another universe, and there is a whole Supergirl saga. Maybe Dean will want to do a show on that at some point. I don't sure. know. It's like a three-parter. But I think all of that is probably, for the purposes of today, I think you probably have hit the high points. Alternate universe uh, shape-shifting character who once appeared as Supergirl, but who can you know appear as all kinds of different people. Right. And as you found out, as, as Superman. Okay. Then we have Draga who is uh, an alien that apparently has ran into Superman before they've either they've either fought or 
a denizen of war world at one point, maybe, and they fought. He feels he's been wronged in a death rite of some sort, and he intends to duel to the death with Superman because of this previous encounter that he had. So just imagine, okay, we got Draga. He's also got a beef with Superman. Who doesn't have a beef with Superman, apparently? Draga definitely does. Okay, Matt does not. <laughs> uh, Matt does not. But yeah, I mean, so there's Draga. Uh, this is a character I never knew anything about until I hopped into this story. Uh, anything else you guys would like to add? I think they meet like the first time Superman goes to War World because he knows all about War World. I can't remember. Matt will be able to correct me, but I think they fought and Superman by law is supposed to kill him, but then he didn't. They did a really good Justice League that kind of centered around this at one point, like the uh, the uh, DCAU one. I remember seeing that and really liking it, but I haven't read that stuff in a long, long time, so I'll let I'll let Mr. Price pick it up. That's pretty close to it. Drago was like a War World champion yeah. when Mongol was running it. Superman defeated him. You're supposed to kill him. Superman's like, well, I'm not killing him. I'm sparing your life. And Drago's like, well, now you've shamed me so i gotta fight you to the death again and so that's kind of where he is you know okay. alien gladiator stuff that yep 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 all right and then we have maxima and alum oh boy let's see if i i, I don't even know if i actually put this correctly she's from is almarac that's where she's from almarac yeah, that right? okay. okay i put almarakian and yeah. of course, uh, Google kept saying, you, you sure you, want, you don't want to say American, do you? No, I do not. It's Almer. <laughs> Are you sure you don't mean Melmac, where Alf is from? Right, Melmac. where Alf is from. Uh, anyway, she's from Almerac, and she, she believes she was destined to mate with Superman, but after being rejected, wants nothing now but to kill him. This is the beginning of a Maximus face turn. Maxima's going to make a face turn. She's going to wind up in the Justice League. She's going to be an extreme justice after that. I think y'all covered uh, number zero of that, and she was That's in right. it. She wants a powerful mate to have a powerful offspring. And I don't know if y'all are aware of this, but in the DC Universe, they don't come more powerful than Superman. Although later, I think she does. Uh, she 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 slums it with Captain Adam. So, okay. you know. <laughs> way, to, way to go, Captain Nathaniel Adam. But no, for real. Uh, an interesting character who I didn't see until the Death of Superman saga. And I've always really liked Maxima. I think she makes a heel turn again later. I really like her. I really think she's cool. She's got a good look. I think that she fits well into the Superman mythos. Yeah, I mean, from her point of view, she's right. She's like, I need to have the most powerful heirs possible to maintain peace on my planet. Yeah. Uh, and Superman, by rejecting me, you're leading my planet into potential civil war and destruction. So from her point of view, what's your big deal, Superman? Just, right. uh, you're, you know, you're supposed to be for peace and justice. Well, here you go. So, but he's a farm boy from Kansas and he sees that as maybe a step too far. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and I think you can see her point to some degree, although I think Superman is, uh, is reluctant to potentially be, if it doesn't go well and they end up being tyrannical, then he's, he's reluctant to go that route. Mm -hmm. So war world is the setting of, well, a big part of this. And I, I know that I've seen war world before. The idea that I had was like war world was this huge, it's a death star. All right. The death star, but like, just completely filled with people who apparently love gladiator battles. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the way I would describe it is it's like Planet Hulk meets Ego the Living Planet. Okay. Like, you know, I mean, there's like, there's gladiator battles. The people there, you know, much like, much like the Roman Colosseum, which, you know, we talk about it, but I think people forget the reason it was there is like things weren't great for the average Roman citizen at that time. So this was a way to distract the old bread and circuses. So they have a populace that's apparently, I don't know 
know what they do because I can't imagine what the economy on World World is like, but they go to these fights and they get mad when there's bad fights. And so World World, from my, from what I understand, has uh, has like you know tries to get the best fighters it can at different times. Whoever's in charge of War World in order to uh, appease the populace. And War World, like Ego the Living Planet, you know, has locomotion. Like it doesn't have to stay in one spot. Again, I think honestly, if you want a good capsule of War World, you got to watch that Justice League two parter. Okay, all right. Matt, I think it's literally that... called War World. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't be able. Yeah, I, uh, I, that's that sounds like uh, usually Mongol is usually controlling it. But yeah, it's Mongol who's usually just, running it. Yeah, yeah, Mongol's out of the picture, just like you said. Brainiac's now in control of War World. So, like I said, this hits the shelves probably late '91, early '92. That's where we get our start for Panic in the Sky. We begin Panic in the Sky in Action Comics six seventy four. Cover dated February of 1992 in a story called The Past is Prologue, written by Roger Stern, penciled by Bob McLeod, inked by Dennis Rodier, lettered by Bill Oakley, and colored by Glenn Whitmore. Then the first strike occurs in Superman the Man of Steel number 9, cover dated March of 1992, with a story called Power Breakfast. story was written by Louise Simonson. Layouts by John Bogdanov. Finishes by Dennis Jenke. Lettered by Bill Oakley. And colored by Glenn Whitmore. And then Second Strike occurs in Superman 65. Cover dated March of 1992. With a story titled Headman. They have the credits a bit different here. With Dan Jurgens as the designer slash shaper. Brett Breeding on forms. John Costanza as on data. Glenn Whitmore on Hughes, and Dan Thorsland as Navigator. Now, we open our prologue in space, where through some mind trickery and force, Brainiac recruits Draga, Maxima, and Matrix in a plan designed to defeat Superman. Brainiac is now the ruler of War World and plans to use all of its might in this effort as well. Back on Earth, Metropolis begins getting attacked by Brainiac's ship, which is being remotely controlled. As it wreaks havoc on Metropolis' citizens, Superman arrives trying to get inside the ship to stop its destruction. Once inside, Superman's mind comes under attack and Brainiac psychically explains he is going to remove him from the game and that war world is coming. Shaking off the attack, Superman guides the ship to crash at sea. Out in space, Metron... All right, and pausing real quick because I want to know... Matt, do your best here, man. Tell me who Metron is, other than the pretty eyebrows this man has. Uh, <laughs> tell me, tell me who Metron is. I know a little bit about the Mobius chair. I know a little bit. Of, this is a new god, correct? He, is he a new god? Yeah, okay, he is. Right. And, and I don't, you know, Dean may be more of a new god, the deep dive guy than me. But Metron is one of the new gods. He's sort of the, I don't know, the what would you say? He's he's sort of the watcher, almost of the new gods, but he gets a little more involved than that. He's but a tweeter. Sort of, yeah. Okay. Sort of along the lines of like, oh, something bad is happening. Metron is going to show up and probably not really help. Um, <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> or possibly caused it because somebody promised him the, uh, you know, the cosmic screw. Yeah, a bit of a tweener. Yeah, All that's right, the thing me. with Metron. It's like, he, like you said, he's one of the new gods. And most of the new gods are like decidedly loyal to New Genesis or Apocalypse. But Metron, he's only loyal really to like knowledge. He wants to know everything. And one day he'd like to pierce the source wall with his Mobius chair and not become one of the uh, Promethean giants and then just float there and do nothing forever. 
it usually takes the side of New Genesis. But on occasion, like, he has done things that have furthered the war in, uh, in Apocalypse's favor. But mostly, he just floats around on that damn chair, say, like like Matt said, not doing much of anything, saying cryptic stuff about, like, things you know and things you don't know, and the, the future and the past will all come together. But interestingly enough, the first time I saw Metron was in a pack of DC, the uh, their 91 card set, maybe in 92, but the Cosmic cards, and and what's funny is I got Metron and Gangbuster in the same pack, and Gangbuster oh, plays a fairly yeah. prominent role here. So uh, so I was ready for Panic in the Sky, and I loved Metron for the first time I read about him. I know shit from Apple Butter about the New Gods or Jack Kirby or anything. This is just a pack of cards I got because they didn't have Marvel cards at the KB store. And right. uh, and like I was at Metron, it's like, that's my guy. He just wants to know everything. I respect that. I'd like to know everything. <laughs> But I and he and 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 to put it in perspective too on the cards he's filed under superheroes so he certainly leans more that way. Uh, he invented the boom you know, tube, the, right? There yeah, you. Yeah, he invented the boom tube. Okay. And uh, Zodak from like Masters of the Universe is very very inspired by. Kind of like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. They well, both got chairs. Kind of, yeah. Kind of like Razor Ramon a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. A little. Bit. <laughs> a little bit. The uh, the old Mobius, the old Mobius edge, just coming oh, off. Oh, got it. Yeah. All right, yeah. With the ladder, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it'd have to be. It would have to be like the uh, the Infinity Cosmic Ladder Beyond, though, for this to work. He is usually a good guy, but then also every time he says something, you're like, is, "Are you really trying to help us or not?" Oh, it's well. Out in space, Metron. Metron visits Almorak and sees Warworld's destruction, but then gets attacked psychically by Brainiac. And Matrix brings him to Warworld, but not before he's able to send his Mobius chair to Superman as a warning. When new gods Orion and Light Ray arrive to find Metron, but only find the Mobius chair, Superman says, hey, this is what's going on, man. You know, he's obviously there's a warning. This guy sent um, uh, Metron sent us here as a warning. And Warworld is on its way. Brainiacs told me what's going on. Uh, now, against Superman's warning, the two head to Warworld, but are soon captured by Maxima. Gloating, Brainiac psychically shows Superman their defeat, leading Superman to begin recruiting heroes for a trip to space to take the fight to Brainiac's Warworld before it reaches Earth. During a gathering of all of the heroes, they notice Aquaman is missing, but they soon see Brainiac's ship has resurfaced, continue, remember it was out at sea, continuing its rampage carrying an unconscious Aquaman. And that's kind of where we end the second strike, as they say here. I will throw this in here. We, I mean, I understand this is a Superman book. We've got to focus on some of these characters uh, that are essential to Superman's uh, you know, narrative here. Jimmy Olsen is unfortunately unemployed. <laughs> And we get Jimmy Olsen's unemployment journey, part one, in these first three issues where Jimmy's he's trying to find a job. Bibbo's trying to help him out, I think. And he's got some pics that he took of a robot. I think the city comes under attack and like Bibbo's trying to make Jimmy understand, hey, man, the city's under attack. And Jimmy's like just straight up trying to figure out who am I going to get these pictures to? He ends up running into a guy uh, who offers him offers him a job after looking at the photos. Now we le- we meet a lot of side characters during the attack, where Brainiac is like unleashing Brainiac's ship is unleashing hell upon Metropolis. We we uh, get a glimpse at Cadmus, which houses the Guardian, and uh, a, a, I don't want to call him an alien because he said he was Earthborn. Uh, his name's Double X. 
So yeah, he's a DNA alien. DNA alien. All right, tell me about the DNA aliens and who in the world this guy is, because he does play a major part. Double X plays a major part in this book. Well, he's part of the uh, the Cadmus Project, which was actually also connected to Jack Kirby's Fourth World. It debuted in like Jimmy uh, Jimmy Olsen's comic, you know, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. It's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It's this crazy, super secret government slightly not governmental like you know um <laughs> right you know uh paramilitary experimental experimentation lab and double x is a dn alien and i forget how they made him but like he's like you know they created him and uh the guardian is like the clone of an old 40s superhero called the guardian who jack kirby also created and then like he brought back in the 70s and I think that remained his origin under the New Earth, but I can't say for sure. But that's where these guys all started. So there's a lot of uh, – one of the neatest things about this run for me, honestly, when you go back and read it, again, I didn't know about the New Gods and stuff then either. But the New Gods in the Fourth World really, really influence and have a big uh, – play a big part in the Superman mythos from, say, I don't know – 88 until 97 with Genesis or so. Maybe a little longer if you count JLA. One of the things that I didn't mention in this synopsis was the fact that Lex Luthor 2. So he's hanging out. Obviously, we're, we're kind of watching the effects of Brainiac's ship as it's going through Metropolis, affecting everybody that Superman knows. Lex Luthor 2, though. Tell me about this, this uh, Lex Luthor 2 and what's going on here. OK, so I think I may tell some of this out of order. But I basically, Luthor got caught doing a lot of horrible stuff, was going to go to jail, was also dying of kryptonite poisoning. So he has, and I think this is revealed at the time, I don't think it's a secret, he has a clone made of himself and then transports his brain into the clone body. Then his original body dies and he introduces him to his clone as his son, but okay. it's really just him the whole time. I, I, I noticed that he had like a, a Scottish And he's Australian now. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing that I noticed. Like, yeah. He's got an accent too, which is interesting. He, hey, listen, you gotta go all the way. Yeah. <laughs> Luthor one, I mean, this is, the cover story is Luthor one had an affair in Australia some 30 years ago. And then the, uh, he is revealed as his heir, uh, after the original Luthor dies, but in fact is actually himself. So and he baby faces everybody when he comes back. He does. He, and he almost makes you think, well, maybe he is going to turn over a new leaf a few times. You uh, start thinking, well, maybe he is going to use this opportunity to not be such a jerk all the time now that people kind of like him and he has this new start. It's kind of on the edge for a while. Is he going to turn face? Is he because he obviously has, you know, the crowds behind him, so to speak. I wanted to make sure that I mentioned him because. Anybody who picks up this book and is like, why are they calling this guy Lex Luthor? I mean, this is what in, what in the world's going on. He does help out everybody. He's not the evil Luthor that we're, uh, you know, we're thinking that Lex is uh, the original. No, Lex. at this point, Lex Corps like has has a very nice pride logo. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, like they're, they're a good corporation now. Right. They are a good corporation. And they're helping out the heroes. They're sending out a team. There's a team Luthor that's a come, you know, shows up. They're all in armor and everything uh, that helps out people on the street. So uh, I did want to definitely mention them because he does show up here. Uh, we do have Professor Emil Hamilton, who mm -hmm. he's showing up here at the end for sure. But uh, he does help out as well. He's helping out Bibbo, I think, at the beginning. So in these first three, he's helping out Bibbo, piling around with Bibbo. And I thought he was also, just getting lunch. 
I thought he was just getting lunch and like the world started falling. And then that waiter's like, get out of here with these donuts, you jerk. And then Jimmy and Bimbo and him eat a donut in what is honestly one of my favorite panels of the whole thing. There's oh, yeah? perfect bites out of the donuts and like there's bricks falling and shit. And they're just like, oh. all right, so what's next? Gotta have breakfast, even in the apocalypse. Oh, so is there any like backstory for Emil Hamilton here before, you know, before Panic in the Sky that is important? He well, he was introduced, I think, in the second Adventures of Superman post crisis created by I think Marv Wolfman. He might he probably has a predecessor, like a pre crisis, something they kind of based him on. But he was a scientist who got fired by Luthor, as I recall. And so he invents this uh big gauntlet machine that he thinks can kill Superman. And Superman manages to get through it, doesn't kill him. And he's like, Why did you do this? He's like, Well, I didn't have anything left to, you know, Lex stole all my ideas. I'm broke, I'm living on the street. I just had to I had to prove that my my stuff would work. So anyway, he from that, instead of going and being a supervillain, decides to become an ally of Superman. And for the next several years throughout the book, whenever Superman needs something scienced, he goes to uh, Professor Hamilton. Okay. But I think goes on and works at Star Labs for a while after that. I mean, I think sometimes he is, sometimes he isn't, but he's sort of Superman's go-to. Hey, what is this sciencey thing that we have found? Got it. All right. And when he doesn't know, he goes to Project Cadman. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hamilton, I, mean, like, I don't know. Go to Project Cadman <laughs> or possibly Star Labs, like you said. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they do a, a neat little job of like focusing on who Superman is recruiting. One of those people that he recruits is made me raise an eyebrow where he reaches out to Deathstroke. So he's he's obviously on the good side here. Is just Superman's just like I need to find a tactical dude. This is this is where I'm going to go. Dean is in it right around his face turn. Is this yeah, he has his own title at this point. Okay, this is like after what was it? He turns face during I think Titans Hunt or right before that. And so like at this point he's he's at least a tweener and uh, he has his own title Deathstroke the Terminator and yeah he was he's basically a member of the Titans doing good things and I think he turns heel again like about the turn of the century Okay. All right. I'm pulling back here. All right. It's time for you guys, whatever you guys want to talk about here. Uh, Matt, we'll start with you, buddy. What do you, what do you think of these first three, the prologue, we got first strike and second strike. One thing I do love whenever sci-fi has a, a CD bar that regardless of how far flung into the future or space you are, that there's still like a, a CD bar establishment, a lot <laughs> Star Wars that nice. you can go into. So right. I kind of like that Matrix is kind of like uh, doing the Clint Eastwood man with no name thing at the beginning there with uh, the poncho and the hat. I think that's kind of a neat, a neat bit. I love that cover on Man of Steel 9 on First Strike. We talked a little bit about John uh, Bogdanov. I think he really captures like the, the strength of Superman. It's kind of like, to me, he's almost a straight line from the Golden Age Superman in the 90s is just how he portrays him with just like all this like coiled up ready to explode strength but also we something i showed you guys we mentioned a little bit is that you know there's a scene in the mechanical monsters fleischer cartoon that almost matches up almost exactly not as a, a swipe so much but definitely an homage of him fighting some mechanical monsters uh in this issue in issue nine as well i liked all that i like the closing page of the villains united in issue nine and then as we get into the second strike, it's got that iconic cover, you know, Jurgens and Breeding that are just a classic, classic Superman team. Uh, the assemblage of the heroes reminds you a little bit, maybe, of 
crisis in some degree, but it is, it's where Superman gets to kind of stand up and be like, okay, I'm the guy that you listen to at times like this. You get a little there's bit a, of Lois and Superman in this. So I was gonna say, there's a few things that remind me of crisis uh, in this series. Mm-hmm. We haven't hit it yet, but there's definitely a cover. There's a cover that right, definitely, right. you know, you're like, oh, wait a second. This is, actually, there's two, because if you want to pull the skeleton one, uh, you know, that that happens mm-hmm. in Crisis as well on one That's of the fair. covers. So, but uh, anyway, go ahead. I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, the, basically that was it other than I know Gene wants to talk about the new gods uh, getting jobbed out. So, <laughs> Oh, it did seem like they really did get beat really easily. I just... <laughs> <laughs> Orion could kill everybody on war. I'm, I'm sorry, thinking. man. That's the like, god of fucking war. Like, <laughs> just, just destroying everything. But, you know, somebody's got to do the job in every crossover situation. And if somebody important doesn't do the job early, it doesn't mean as much. So, on the one hand, I am upset. I think that I think that Metron and uh, Light Ray and Orion, they did not look as good as they could have. But if somebody doesn't look bad early, like, what do we care? If Orion can go in there and just take care of everything, I guess Superman's secret wish came true. Because at one point early, he's like, oh, man, maybe they'll take care of it. I won't even have to do anything. I'm like, well, that's not me. <laughs> what is this? Like, oh, maybe somebody will do it for me. No, I understand, though. To be honest, like... That's how I feel about every household chore. If you're Superman, like, you've got to be like, oh, man, this oil volcano just exploded. Can somebody else take care of this one, please? And I don't do any household chores. And, like, Superman does, like, all of it. So, <laughs> anyhow, uh, so I do think that, that I wish they had gotten a little better. But, again, I understand. I like, like I said earlier, I like the scene where, like, Jimmy is, like, running across. This is, I think this is so, like, uh, earlier you mentioned that this worked like a TV show. And this is such a TV show moment where he's running through people are just like like lasers are zapping behind him he drops the pictures right to the guy he was bringing them to you know what serendipity and i don't mean that in a good way i'm not knocking it you know i mean i mean honestly if you're gonna pick on realism you can't start with this guy tripping and dropping his pictures on the street in front of the guy he was bringing them to because you know there's a flying planet full of gladiator people that the infinity man fights so like you're gonna have to start elsewhere if you have a problem with realism or whatever right but i like that stuff i enjoy like uh, i think all the covers of this are just classic i think the first three issues do a really good job of evoking the title matthew and i were talking about like this is the time this was a the title of an episode of the old adventures of superman tv show and it does feel like the way they draw it and the way it's laid out it is a panic in the sky everything is coming from above you'll notice all so many shots from above like a bird's eye or somebody looking up i guess an anti-bird's eye i don't know what you call that but um uh, so you go from there and, and like you get all these superheroes getting together and i'm i'm a big mark i'm a huge mark for the heroes getting together Y'all mentioned Crisis, but honestly, to me, I, I understand that comparison. It honestly feels more like Infinity Gauntlet. It feels more like this is something that just got thrown together. There's no big, like, cosmic guy bringing them together. You know, I, I, Thanos is the bad guy, but all the stuff on Earth is done by the Earthbound guys. You know, and I feel like, you know, they're like, but we're going to have to go off to deal with this. I like, I, you know, and also, for whatever reason, Brainiac is just hamming it up like Thanos style to me. Like he's very just like, ha ha, very evil, come and get me. Oh, yeah. He's on his like evil Mobius chair. I respect it. He's got an evil Mobius <laughs> chair. Metron's got a neutral one, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it does make you wonder though, speaking of Metron, 
he's sort of a jerk and nobody likes him, but apparently they like him enough to show he's in trouble. But he doesn't trust or like them enough to send his Mobius chair to them. He sends it to Superman, which would lead me to believe you could do a great, like, keeping up with the Kardashians or, like, real Housewives of New Genesis show. There's got to be a lot of drama there that we're not seeing. Like, uh, why did yeah. you, you don't send this to your family? Like, but we're coming to save you? I would watch it. I'm not going to lie to y'all. <laughs> um, and again, the, the, like I said, that big assemblage of heroes, Aquaman being in trouble. Uh, also, the heroes like Gangbuster, who, uh, uh, you know, was like, I can't go to space. All I've got are nunchucks. I, I like that he was like, you know, we're going to we're gonna split this up to where it makes even uh, more sense as you read it. Really, it's just a really good setup for uh, what comes next. And they do a great job. Like, if you didn't know who uh, Drago was, they do a great job making you like him really quick. Mm -hmm. Like, there's just, you know, unless you're just, uh, you know, Johnny 7th grade cynic, you're going to like this guy. He's trying hard. He has a sense of morals that he adheres to, uh, regardless of which side he appears to be on. To keep the wrestling analogies going, I guess he's like Road Warrior Hawk. Like, the Road Warriors don't really change face or heel. They seem to have a code of honor. They don't usually cheat. They don't, you know, they go in there, you know, fist first. They're going to take care of it. So, you know, I really like how they get him over. And uh, I like Maxima. And she's uh, she's very, it's a very good soap opera scene between her and Brainiac. They can't really trust each other. But Brainiac just likes lording over her. And Maxima's just going to kill him the first chance she gets. Right, right. Believe it or not. <laughs> Brainiac, his, his, okay, him with the, like, evil goatee. I'm not Respect. used to this look. I'm not used to this look at all for Brainiac. I, I don't know if it's just because I wasn't reading at this time. I mean, this isn't, is this normally how he looked back in the nineties with the, with the goatee and everything? Not all the time. I don't think I don't, I mean, he, in the silver age, he sort of had the clean shaven look. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. And then, I mean, he, man, it's gonna. It's a little bit confusing because I think there was a guy with a goatee who like his, got his mind invaded by Brainiac. Oh and yeah. So at first we thought Brainiac was just a guy, but then it turned out, no, he was an alien and he took over that guy's body. So I think that's where the goatee came from. Uh, this may not be a hundred percent correct. I was going to actually look this up because it's kind of confusing how Brainiac goes from being like a guy to an alien to a robot. But in any case, I think that's where the goatee came from. I think the guy whose mind he invaded had the he. I mean, he definitely pulls off evil. When you look at that, I mean, he is definitely. <laughs> right. He Here is, comes Mirror Universe uh, Spock on right, his anti-Mobius chair, you know, to just evil <laughs> up this gladiator world. And that's what he does all the time. From the first issue until, like, almost the time he dies, it's not enough for him to just be like, hey, man. Uh, I'm going to take over Earth and destroy stuff. He's like trolling Superman. He's beaming him. Right. He's, just, he's like, look at this. Look what I did to your friends. Yep. It's, it's wild. He's just AOL instant messaging, just hate right into uh, <laughs> Superman's brain box. <laughs> like, like, listen, if you're going to go for the king, you may as well be loud about it. Oh, do it, man. Do it all the way. I do think it's a little funny that Metron thinks that uh, mailing somebody his chair is a good warning. That's just kind of like, I, I, is that the international symbol for I'm in trouble? On New Genesis. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like an like, empty chair like, just appeared. Like, Dean, like, if I chose, like, if one of your chairs was over my house tomorrow, should I get on a plane because you're in trouble? <laughs> yes, actually. If one of my chairs shows up at your house, come out. Yeah. Yeah, right now, yeah, you probably should get on a plane. At least, I'm in a at least call him. Bad things reason. have happened. Hey, like, I got your chair over here. What is going on? First off, how did you know it's my chair? My chairs are decidedly nondescript. You know, like, like 
<laughs> well, I don't um, know. Maybe it's a return address, but yeah, I don't know. But like, yeah, you're right. What would they have done if double that had been there? Yeah, when there right. double X there, they wouldn't have figured anything out because he's like, yeah, oh, see, well, I do brain That's stuff. true. I can figure this out. Yeah, so, like, I'll so check yeah, it again, out. Why send it to Superman? Because those guys track it down anyway. Like, the, Orion and Light Ray just show up with their mother boxes. They're like, oh, he's here. Ah, just, it, you're right. It, it doesn't, doesn't make like sense. There's... But, but yeah. I'm going to let it I'm going to let it slide because we get to see double X on it. Yeah. Sure. No, yeah. I think it's probably Metron is just a jerk. And he's like, ah, I'm going to send it to Superman. I trust him more to figure, figure it out. <laughs> He'll understand when I mail him the chair. He'll use his super <laughs> mathematics to put it together. <laughs> super math. All right. Third Strike. This story takes place in Adventures of Superman 488, cover dated March of 1992. The tale is called Counter Strike, penciled by Tom Grummet, inked by Doug Hazelwood, written by Jerry Ordway, colored by Glenn Whitmore, lettered by Albert de Guzman. And then Fourth Strike takes place in Action Comics 675, March of 1992 cover date, with a story called Divide and Conquer, written by Roger Stern, Bob McLeod and Dennis Rodier as artists, Bill Oakley as letterer, Glenn Whitmore coloring, and then Fifth Strike takes place in Superman the Man of Steel number 10, cover dated April of 1992, story titled Tidal Wave, Louise Simonson on story, John Bogdanov layouts, Dennis Janke on finishes, Bill Oakley on lettering, Glenn Whitmore on coloring. As Brainiac's ship again attacks Metropolis, the combined might of the team of superheroes that Superman has assembled is able to incapacitate it quickly and rescue Aquaman. Using the power of the Mobius chair, Double X is able to commandeer Brainiac's ship, and the team is now headed to space with Superman to face off with Warworld. Arriving at their destination, the team faces off with Draga, Maxima, and other citizens of Warworld, but some are able to break free to infiltrate the massive ship. Brainiac begins to lose his mind control over Matrix, who still in the form of Supergirl, finally comes to her senses and begins to help Superman and his team, and Draga soon follows suit. After that, Brainiac begins to use devices to take over some of the other heroes, using them to attack their friends. Luckily, Superman and Matrix are able to figure this out, rescuing some of the mind-controlled heroes, but Brainiac has been busy unleashing a horde of other mind-controlled superheroes at Superman. Seeing the increased threat, Double X sends out a telepathic aid request that any available hero return to help out Superman. Now, during this fight, Matrix is knocked out and taken captive by Maxima. This is important um, because during the story, we learn that Maxima has joined with Brainiac because he used War World to conquer her home planet of Almorak. And in order to protect her people from further harm, she agreed to help Brainiac kill her mate that scorned her, Superman. However, Matrix makes her realize that... He she will have no chance for Superman to fall in love with her if he's dead. Pretty, pretty good argument. <laughs> Plus, if she works to defeat Brainiac now, Maxima will have a better chance of ensuring her planet's survival. Maxima has grown tired of Brainiac's orders and agrees to release Matrix and help Superman and his team. So now we have Draga, we got Matrix, and we have Maxima all joining Team Superman here. So back in the battle, a recently freed Metron helps the heroes by designing a psychic disruptor to free the rest of the enslaved heroes that are attacking their own. However, a desperate Brainiac unleashes a deadly organic construct that fires antimatter, causing the heroes to head for cover. As it charges its cannon, Matrix intends to sacrifice herself by blocking the barrel with her own body, but Draga instead 
beats her to it. At the expense of his own life and the secret love he had developed, and I said secret love, that seemed like he was definitely getting feelings for Matrix. We'll just put it that way. The secret love he had developed for Matrix, Draga gives the heroes enough time to eject the construct into space, allowing it to safely explode away from War World. Undeterred, Brainiac revels that War World now approaches Earth, where he plans to shrink city after city, crushing them under his boot until the heroes finally surrender. That's extra. (laughs) On Earth, Batman is in charge of the defense team in Metropolis that now has its hands full with some teleported champions of War World. So we got out there. I've got the list here. So Crimson Fox is on Earth along with Blue Beetle, Aquaman, Nightwing, Thorn, and Gangbuster along with Batman. They're all trying to keep the streets of Metropolis safe, which is not happening. (laughs) But they're they're doing their best there. Um, So anyway... Uh, back to Jimmy Olsen's unemployment journey. J- uh, Jimmy uh, finally gets his job at News Time. <laughs> you know, th- I think Jimmy's like taking pictures of the battle. You know, he's he's definitely getting some good pics. He's wanting to, you know, at, at least get some money going here. Uh, and he's he ends that up getting. Set. That's right. And then he ends up. He's like in a helicopter, gets shot at. The helicopter goes down, lands in the ocean. But luckily, Aquaman takes him to shore, where he ends up running into Lois Lane, who says. Hey, I might be able to get your job back at Daily Planet. He's like, oh, really? Okay. And there is <laughs> the unemployment. That's part two. We haven't concluded Jimmy Olsen's unemployment journey just yet. All right. Uh, so uh, we are at the end of the, what was this? This was fifth strike, I believe. Yeah, third, fourth, and fifth strike. So, Matt, I'm going to throw it to you, man. What are your notes there? What do you have there for these uh, these next three that we're covered? Uh, my mom is going to be excited that I mentioned her on a podcast. She won't really. Oh. But my mom was not really into buying uh, bad guys. She would buy as good guys, but not bad guys. So okay. we had a lot of times where, like, the good guys would get mind controlled, so they would have to fight the bad guy, you know, the other good guys, because we didn't have any bad guys. So this so- this, this is basically a lot like what I would play as a kid. You know, about half the superheroes end up getting mind controlled so that the other good guys have somebody to fight. <laughs> so uh you know you Shazam gets mind controlled or whatever they gotta fight, you know. That's this was very much uh, like something I would play as a kid. Like, okay, half the superheroes are mind controlled by whoever, Brainiac in this case, and uh now we gotta fight them. Yeah. Yeah, it was good... nice of Brainiac to put the little helmets on them so you could tell who they were supposed to fight. Them. Right, right, right. Yeah. Those yeah. Th- uh tire four ways. <laughs> right. <laughs> Throw them right on top of the head. There, uh, yeah, you know, you you mentioned that, and that's obviously we've got to up the ante here. It's not; it can't just be Superman's forces going up against a bunch of nondescript dudes, and you know the three, four baddies that we know because they're going to just outnumber them. Why? How? How can they not win? But then when you start turning the heroes on each other, then all mm-hmm. of a sudden it becomes a threat, and you start sending all of these heroes. That was one of the big points of this book, where I was like, "Oh man, is he? He's going to be in for a fight here when everybody starts going after Superman." And uh, he's got to try and figure out a way to fend them off. I, I didn't mention, I don't know, even know if it shows up in my next in my next synopsis. It might. The call goes out to bring some heroes in. We get Infinity. What was it? Infinity Man? Infinity, Infinity, Man. Infinity Man. Okay. Someone want to. You got Infinity Man, I'm sure. Yeah, lay, lay that one on me. That one's, that one's interesting because that whole troop of what were they called um forever people i yeah i think i own some of those issues i just got accidentally in an auction i have no Lucky idea who you. these guys are. i don't know who these people are though tell me tell me about the forever people in an infinity man 
Well, once again, actually, the Forever People are also new gods. They are also, they are from Supertown. Basically, Jack Kirby created them inspired, because this is after he moved out to California, and uh, as part of the fourth world, he got really inspired by uh, hippie culture, for lack of a better term. The counterculture, psychedelia. <laughs> so the way you should really think of the Forever People, they're space hippies. They are young godlings, for lack of a better term, who are out there trying to find whatever it is to find. Like uh, Simon and Garfunkel said, they're out there looking for America. You know, and that and and at the same time, they realize that, you know, they're part of an incredibly epic and devastating interplanetary war that at one point they're going to have to choose a side on. They both are good guys. They're going to be the good guys. But along the way, they've got a lot of questions to answer about morality and what does it mean? What does it mean to fight if like you're going to if, if fighting's bad, we got to fight them because they're evil because they want to fight. Should we fight. And they also have superpowers and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. They all have their own one. I think it's. uh seraphin who has like cosmic cartridges they do whatever he needs him to do whatever he needs him to do it like you know uh vikings got his like b big bear is strong grizzly that rob liefeld created pretty much a carbon copy of big bear visually except he has more grenades more pouches but uh and they drive the uh they have a super cycle they drive that the beautiful dreamer and then uh, i can't remember their leader's name he's like the least Oh, he's something writer. I can't remember. He's the least least interesting of them all to me. But uh, basically, they come together, and when they come together by utilizing a mother box, they can switch places with the Infinity Man. And the Infinity oh. Man is, like, super powerful. Uh, again, he can do whatever. He'll fire rays and punch guys and everything. That's why Captain Marvel, when he shows up and they're fighting, is I think we've got something else in common because, again, they're play switchers, you know. So I love the Forever People, and uh, the best way to enjoy them is within the confines of Jack Kirby's Fourth World, the original stuff. But I'm always, I'm always very, very uh, happy when they show up. That's it, right? Mark Moonrider. I came that's up it. with it. That's it. Infinity like, Man is kind of like psychic Voltron. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> He's definitely able to hold his own there. But also, uh, much like Rick Jones, they physically yeah. trade places with him. Like when Rick Jones was right. uh, Marvel's Captain Marvel and he had to go to the negative zone and that shit. He, they, I don't remember what it's called. It's like Infinity Island or some crap. And actually, their original series ends and they're like Shanghai on the island. You know, like I don't know what was going to happen to him. I know it was going to be great because Jack Kirby was going to do it. Yeah. I like how we open Action 675 that Brainiac's literally twirling his mustache. Oh, you, oh that's know? beautiful. <laughs> his that's villain great. game is strong. It is. Like, in case you had missed that he is the bad guy, he's literally <laughs> twirling his mustache. Um, I like the closing page. of and I, Actually, the closing pages of each of these issues is really pretty good. I mean, you don't necessarily see that all the time. But, like, each issue is, like, really, whoa, something crazy is or exciting is happening. I really got to get to the next. And the closing page has got a big Heroes Together shot where you're like, I definitely want to get into the next one. I, I feel like Metron is a little jealous of Double X when Double X just kind of shows up driving the chair around. Yeah. I, I mean, I get that Metron's like, hey, just driving my chair around. Double <laughs> X is like, yeah, I can do a lot of stuff. Yeah, there's a Metron. It seems okay. <laughs> Metron seems to be like there's a couple moments in this book where he just it stands. The stuff that he does just stands out to me. And they specifically made a point to be like Metron never laughs. And there's a point where he laughs and they're like, I mean, it was a big deal. So apparently he's I guess I assume he's pretty emotionless. Usually he's very uh, stoic most of the time. Yeah, yeah. like it's kind of like Spock, but evil. So kind of like Mirror Universe Spock is kind of what Metron is like. OK, I don't think he's as evil as Mirror Universe Spock. No, but he's, somewhere 
He's somewhere between Spock and Mirror Universe Spock, though. He's very... Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, between he's, the two. He's definitely, he's definitely not quite as good our... as the good one and not quite as bad as the bad one. <laughs> he's definitely like on a Dungeons & Dragons alignment scale lawful neutral. He has this code and it is like the... You know the accumula- uh, the accumulation of knowledge, and whatever he has to do to do that, that that's whatever, and that's why when he gets emotionally involved in something, it's frightening. It would be frightening if he was mad, if he was happy, or the idea that he wants any kind of vengeance. That's wild, and and I, I really like that part that really gets over Metron. But you're right, Matt. He is he is jealous. He's always like, I can't imagine a mind could control my chair. It's like it's like when I think about like, lazy boy the kid, right? Like, oh man, yeah. how did you get that chair to recline? Like there's the fucking lever, bro. So anyhow, like, so I just feel like he's just mad. I feel like he's just, you know, he is jealous that somebody actually like is playing with his toy. Mm-hmm. I didn't send you the chair to use it. <laughs> right, right, right. It's a message. Why are you sitting on a message? Oh man, I mean, he does, and Double X does some stuff with that chair too. Like he's teleporting Brainiac ship into the middle of War World, which I think that's a pretty big deal. Uh, yeah, and he yeah. uh, he's. Double X is like one of the unsung heroes, I would say, of this. I mean, he's definitely, I'll sing his praise. Um, You know, he's definitely showing his stuff here for a character that I don't know much about. I was like, this dude's, uh, this dude's doing some stuff. Matt, tell me what you think of Superman, the Man of Steel's number 10, issue number 10 cover there. Uh, That's one of the crisis illusions that I was pointing to earlier. Right, right. I I think it's, I mean, it's, that's one that you got to do a callback to from time to time. And it it definitely lets you know kind of what's happening. Some of the feelings that they're going to try to evoke with it. And I think. I think it's a solid piece. I mean, it doesn't necessarily surpass the original, but it's the covers that on this series, I think, are are, are good throughout. And uh, I mean, I think that's a good one. It kind of lets you know that, you know, there's an emotional turnout for this this character who kind of started out as a bad guy and basically makes his face turn over the course of the series. And the Supergirl ends up mourning him. So, I mean, maybe it's a spoiler a little bit to put that on the cover, but I think it's a nice, I think it's nicely done and a, and a good place for an homage. Supergirl on, I mean, obviously uh, in crisis, Supergirl's on the other end of this of course. It's not Supergirl mm-hmm. here, but you know, that's, that's what it, definitely what stands out to me. The, the fact that it's now Supergirl holding a, a fallen hero instead uh, and a, hey, yeah, it's a it's a it's a neat cover. You know, for a second when I saw this cover, I was like, did I miss something? Like, were all these like somehow secretly tied to Crisis in some way? And then I went back and I was like, no, that's not the case. Um, but <laughs> this one made me sit there. And then the one with the I think what doubled that up was the I don't know if it's this next issue after this one or the one where there's no it's it's the final uh, I'm pretty sure where all the skeletons are and all the heroes are skeletons. And that one made me go, okay, there's something here, but that's not the case. I, yeah, well, I think you're right. There's definitely some echoes of crisis, even if it's not a one for one. So, and, and I do think, well, I mean, with Draga, I mean, I think there are some wrestling that we've kind of mentioned throughout the thing, but like Draga has a face turn in the middle of this thing, you know, Maxima also switches sides. Then, you know, when everybody's mind controlled and turns on Superman, that's sort of like the point in the Royal Rumble where everybody wants to, you know, get on the big guy. Giant right. So I think there are some interesting wrestling illusions you can make if you're a fan of both mediums. I agree. All right, Dean, what do you got here, man, for these three? All right, well, first off, I think this started actually in the last three, but I want to mention it. Like, you know, when Superman's like talking to the assembled heroes, I I noticed he's like hovering up there. It's a lot easier to get everybody's attention and make everybody listen if you can just hover in the air, right? Yeah, when you're like, yeah. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, oh, yeah. like, so, but, like, that leads right into the next issues where, like, you get to see very quickly, one of the things they do very quickly is get over what everybody can do. Like, here's, and they get over who everybody is, Guy Gardner, asshole, Captain Marvel, kid-like, Mr. Miracle, trap guy. Like, they, um, uh, they get this stuff over, everybody gets, it, 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 very early on, if the assembled heroes are all getting, like, their little chance to shine. And I really like that the interaction between everybody, like everybody's like, Guy Gardner, shut up. You know, Captain Marvel's just amazed to be a part of everything. And these little bits of character, Wonder Woman doesn't really want to fight necessarily if she doesn't have to. And all of these little scenes just do a really good job of bringing... I think for a long time, when I say, you know, it brings DC together as a universe, which is, I think, something that historically DC's always had more trouble with than Marvel. Probably because Marvel's just like decided this is all one big timeline, jerks. We're just doing this and we split things wherever, at least until the last few years. But DC didn't really neatly put stuff together. Then they did Crisis and things didn't neatly come together. It's weird because early on in the Marvel Universe, you're like, here's Doctor Doom, a Marvel Universe villain and this kind of thing. DC didn't really have that for me for, for, you know, but this is the beginning after crisis where you can see that really starting to come together. I really enjoy them splitting into teams. That made a lot of sense. And like Matt said, these covers are all great. Obviously they were great because they got me a guy who didn't really care a lot about Superman who wasn't into DC comics was barely getting to the Marvel guys. Like I picked it up and flipped through it. I love the scene where the guys are repelling out of the bug. I was, I was intrigued uh, immediately. I think one of the things I really like about this series and this happens throughout these three issues is Captain Marvel is treated extraordinarily well for a Superman story. As a general rule, for whatever reason, historical enmity, just different people's takes, you got to get your flagship guy over. A lot of times when Captain Marvel shows up in a Superman story, they either fight and Superman wins or Captain Marvel looks like a, you know, a bozo and uh, Superman has to save him. But here he's treated as like arguably the second biggest gun. He never gets mind controlled. He stands side by like he, when the forever people are in trouble, he goes in there and he's like, Hey everybody, I'm going to, I can handle this monster society, which is another callback. There's a lot of callbacks in here. Whereas right. this is a callback to one of the original uh, multi-parters in superhero comics, a 25 part epic in the golden age where Captain Marvel fought the monster society of evil. And he waits in there and then there's a bunch of them. And I love how he's not like, oh man, I don't know if I can handle it. He's like, this might take me a while. It's not even like, you know, he feels like he can't do it. He's like, oh, this is going to take longer than I thought. Then we get to see the infinity man. We get that neat, you know, back and forth. We also get the cool, uh, I mentioned this to y'all, there's a pose where Captain Marvel has like one hand, one arm on his hip and he's like lifting a guy up, which is a historical Captain Marvel look. Like he's almost always doing that to uh, Dr. Savannah, his bad guy. Can't go wrong with any of the action here. The pacing is tremendous. You really get into the will they or won't they with like, will she let Supergirl go? Is this right. a good enough point? Later on, when Max is making her face turn, you're like, will they just accept her? Superman, you know, Supergirl's going to argue about it. I think it was a little confusing, though, when, like, Supergirl took Draga's, like, form. I was like, wait, he's... I remember, like, when I read this the first time, I had to go back and flip because I was like, that guy's dead! <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. But, like, I knew it all this time, so it was uh, pretty good. I like, like uh, Matt said, this is a great page turner, a great next issuer. 
you you get to the end of it, you're ready for the next one. I do question the last page though, where they have those like flattened four way brain suckers on their uh, heads because like it's like Deathstroke's got a hood, like Rocket Red has a helmet, like Booster Gold has this thing. I'm sure Brainiac thought of that, you know, but like I would have liked to have seen one of them fight that off on their own for some cool little reason like that. Maybe the Flash could have had like a big metabolism, so he's just wore off. Whatever. Um. Uh, I also think it's really neat how, like, as far as some of their bigger guns here, um, you don't see, like, much of the Flash or Wonder Woman. They're there. Right, right. But, like, you don't see a ton of them. And that's interesting. And I'm always a big fan of Largand. I love him as Valor. I love him in the Legion. My friend had all of his dad's old Silver Age comics. And in seventh grade, I actually read the original, like, first appearance of Largand, where him and Superboy are, like, playing fucking space baseball and stuff. It's beautiful. And, you know, I mean, and he's vulnerable to lead, which Kryptonite shields him and goes to the Phantom Zone. I love any incarnation of this character. Classic look. And I love, uh, I love later where he's all hot-headed. He's like, I could get through that shield i could get through it and you know what i believe that he could and if he had he'd rip those brain suckers right off brainiac and those are my you know, pretty much my feelings on it superman obviously is cool and i think they do a great job of uh getting superman over as like we talked earlier the leader of the dc universe and i don't know if this was on purpose or not but this is right after the blah ha 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 justice league and they're really trying every time somebody smartened off to like cut that out no quips. And I wonder if part of that was because Justice League was getting revamped. A lot of these characters were going to be in that Justice League. And I wonder, and Dan Jurgens, who worked on this, was going to work on this Justice League. And I wonder if they wanted to get that vibe over here because that book would probably get some readers from this crossover because it was done well and see people, some people would fall in love with those characters. I want to ask y'all a question about this now. Who is it here that you think should have been here? The DC Universe, even on Earth, pretty big so like who should have been in this group that you don't get to see i got a couple guys but uh i'll start with you jesse do you got a couple guys that you think maybe should have been either on the earth or space team i think i have a better handle on street level heroes in the dc universe so right. uh, you know in early 90s dc my goodness I could throw out a bunch of people street level wise. Like I, I think Huntress is doing some stuff in DC at this yeah. point, right? So I, I'll go and ahead she and throw her out. With the Justice League at this time too. So I'll go ahead and throw her out there. Nightwing like shows up for a cup of coffee. Like I see him in like I don't even remember him saying anything, but he's there, right? Nightwing is there. Yeah, they, he chats a little with Batman. Okay, do we have Who any? Who is other... the nicest Batman we've ever seen in the DC <laughs> universe up to this point? Well, he's pretty pretty nice guy for Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, were there any other Teen Titans or anything like that in, other than Nightwing? I mean, I didn't see any other, like Cyborg wasn't there. No, otherwise, I, okay. Titans-related. I mean, I'll throw those out there. Uh, that's about the extent of my DC knowledge when it comes to that, so I won't embarrass myself anymore. But when I was reading DC comics at some point in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, most of who I've seen in this comic book was usually it's Batman. I was reading Detective Comics, uh, a little bit of Detective Comics. I was picking up Man of Steel every once in a while. You know, Huntress was one I was picking up. And then I'm not going to say Ragman should have been in there because I, I, I think I would. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> but Ragman. Uh, but no. Anyway, Matt, I'll throw it to you, man. What, what's your answer? It's more of a sci-fi adventure. So you don't have 
the mystical guys. You know, really, you know, Spectre, Phantom Stranger, Constantine wouldn't really have been in maybe DCU at this point, but those guys are not really involved because it's not really their kind of show. Yeah, Doctor Fate's there, thing. but they don't do much. Yeah, Doctor Fate's the only really mystical person I think shows up, and and I think it's I think it's the female Doctor Fate who I think was in Justice League at that point. Yeah, it's Inza Nelson um, who had been in the JLI. The couple people I don't remember seeing uh, was Starman, and I don't know if it was Will Payton Starman, and he might have been dead at this point. And Will Payton's I don't remember, in it. Is he in it? Okay, and I don't. Yeah, but he, he has no on. lines. He's just he okay. just gets mind controlled and is in an assemblage. He doesn't do anything. Does Martian Manhunter show up anywhere? Like an no. I don't know. They actually, I think they mentioned Martian Manhunter in the book. They do. I believe, and but he's not there. He's he's, ava- he's unavailable. He, yeah. Those were the biggest people I didn't remember seeing. But I mean, a lot of the space guys, I guess maybe like Adam Strange, maybe he was off on a ran, you know, yeah. the, for the most part, most of sort of the sci-fi space guys get in there. I mean, you only have, you only have Guy as far as Green Lanterns, but yeah, I don't Kilowog, remember the status. Oh, in there oh, yeah, too, Kilowog. yeah. Yep. I don't remember the status of who's what at this point and who's on Earth. Like, is is John Stewart on Earth at this point? I don't remember. I think he's Mosaic right now. So, yeah, I, I think you get a pretty good mix of flavors. Who is it that you feel like maybe got left out? You know, I mean, nobody got left out. There's plenty of guys here. It's just interesting to not see. Like uh, like Jesse said, it's, 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 it's weird you don't see Starfire. Like, Nightwing's there, and she's like a space princess. Yeah. It's weird to me that you don't see Captain Adam who was like very involved with the Justice League International at that time and also a very powerful guy. A, a pair who could have bridged the gap between the space and the Earth crew would have been Hawkman and Hawkwoman as well. Who um uh, and, and, the, and we don't see them. It would have been yeah, very interesting there. to see them at the time. The, I mean, again, there's no glaring omissions, you know, like you said. Like, it, would it have been cool to see Adam Strange? Absolutely. I would have liked to have seen some of the Vertigo guys because Vertigo hadn't started yet and they were still playing fast and loose with it. Like, it would have been cool to see like Swamp things show up and like, like swallow a bunch of like guys on the earth team or animal man be totally lost in space but like you know you, you don't miss anybody it's just like these guys could have been there and they weren't another thing i would ask y'all is is anybody on the wrong team i think the earth team is totally correct but i feel like it's like it's undergunned like they should have left guardian and agent liberty on earth why are they in space like agent liberty has guns and a jetpack that would have been much more useful on the yeah. earth team they got yeah. lots of guys. The Guardian's like, oh, I'll go to space. I've got a shield. Bro, bro. <laughs> they got techno shields in space. What do you I love think you're Guardian. getting into, man? But is there anybody who you think should have switched teams? Like, for me, those are the two. <clears throat> Matt, do you have any uh, anything about that? I think those are probably good notes. I mean, I'm surprised they got Batman to stay on Earth. Usually Batman goes wherever the... Yeah, action is happening regardless. But as you at said, this, this time, like they were the playing this weird thing. He was scared of space. Are you serious? You would. I'm sorry to mean to cut you off. At this time, they oh, were wait, playing some weird thing that Batman didn't like to go into space because in oh, like okay. JLA Titans, he like he, like he asked Nightwing not to go into space. Anymore. Uh, this is like a, a BA Baracus kind of thing. Yeah, they got to knock him out. <laughs> Don't make gotta, Batman go into space. <laughs> Gotta knock him out, and the next thing you know, he's waking up on the shuttle. He's like, "What am I doing here?" I think they are probably pretty well seated. I think you probably could move a couple people around to give. There are people do feel a little undergunned. It's like they could have maybe used a little more help. I mean, everybody gets to kind of do cool stuff for the most part. Yeah. So I feel like you know that's 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 kind of I guess my measurement. If like, oh, they took this guy and he didn't really get to do anything cool, but almost everybody gets to kind of have a moment to be cool, which is yeah. I think one of the things that's good about the series. I agree. Yeah, that, I agree totally. What about you, Jesse? Would you swap anybody? Obviously, what I would probably send out to space are the heavy hitters: Superman, uh, Captain Marvel, Guy Gardner. Uh, Guy Gardner uh, as 
as annoying as he is, obviously that's the way he's supposed to be portrayed. He's a definitely a big part of what happens in this book, and he's a heavy yep. hitter. He's a heavy hitter. And Deathstroke's an interesting choice, but like Superman said, he justified that. He's like, I need a tactician. I need somebody that can do, you know, can can take care of things. And he's one of the guys that's leading the team that infiltrates War World uh, at the beginning uh, and that gets separated from the rest of them. So yeah, he's an uh, warfare tactical expert and also, you know, has a Wolverine-esque healing factor. Although at one point he pretends like he's like, I got to kill him because I'm not like you, Wonder Woman. But <laughs> he's a little more superpower than he was letting on at that moment. He's yeah. a lot like Captain America meets Wolverine, to be honest, like the way, you know, the, when you think about him. No one seems definitely overpowered when it comes to defending Metropolis here. I mean, most of what we get in that team let me read that roster off that I had there earlier. So we had Crimson Fox, which I know nothing about. She's cool. Abs- absolutely nothing about. Is she French or, or, or German? I know she had an accent. She's though. French, and there are okay. two of her. Are, okay. All right. Blue Beetle, I don't know if I'm sending him out into space with the rest of the team. I'm, no. I mean, he's... A tech savvy dude, but I'm not spending. I don't think I'm sending him to space. Aquaman. His bug's so useful, you know. Right, right, right. Uh, Nightwing, I'm not. Thorn. So uh, help me out here. Who's Thorn? Because uh, I get like you know Poison Ivy vibe, but I don't. Uh, you know, I have no idea. Well, who is Thorn? No, well, okay. I mean the series is called Rose and Thorn, and as I recall, when it first started out, like Rose was just like kind of a prim proper girl, and she would go to sleep and then wake up and become Thorn, who would go out and do vigilante stuff, and maybe she didn't know she was doing it. And yeah. I don't know if that stayed the concept the whole time, but I mean, I think she basically punches people. I'm not sure there are superpowers involved beyond that. Okay. I would have to I would have to reference to make sure, but I think it's more of a hand to hand fighter than something super like you know. Right. Blasty right. or anything. Well, again, I think the another... most important part of her mythos is that like in the she appeared in backups in Lois Lane and that's where like the 100 come from. OK, well, definitely street level there and gangbuster. I don't know if you can get any more street level than that. I mean, <laughs> the Metropolis Street team headed by Batman is perfectly fine. Just leave yeah. them where they're at. Don't send them into space. One of them's going to die. Blue Beetle probably <laughs> Blue Beetle probably well Batman aside I mean Batman's pretty smart but Blue Beetle I I might give him some higher odds than the rest of the team surviving Aquaman to do okay you know space in the ocean pretty similar Oh sure yeah you yeah there you know <laughs> Lots of water out there. <laughs> Not the water part, but like used to dealing with pressure and he punches stuff. Oh, okay. So you're actually making a legitimate argument. All yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you're uh, right. Like there better be a shower on this ship. But like <laughs> as far as like dealing with the pressures of space and stuff like that, it doesn't seem like, you know, he would be able to handle a decent amount of it. This is like, okay, this, this version of Aquaman is very much the... Super Friends Aquaman to me looks like it anyway to me. Uh, things are going to change for this guy pretty soon after this, right? Like he looks like the uh, the quintessential Aquaman that I used to the, that I used to know from like almost from somebody that you used to know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, Just the it, Super it, Friends you used to know. That's uh, right. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a year or two later he loses his hand and goes more piratey. Okay. Right. Yeah, he becomes Tarzan of the ocean. The, I like uh, the metal men. Cool to see them. Oh, yeah. The metal men showing up here. You, know, you don't get, really. You, you didn't see the metal men a lot around this time. So it's really cool that they got in on this. Kilowog trounce them. And they're all like, you know, and some of them are in puddles. It's not yeah. good. 
And, but yeah, but like the, that's their role. They're the crash test dummies of superheroes. Like every, right. that's their whole thing. They get torn apart. They get better. It's it's lovely. I love them. Oh, this the other guy who I would have liked to have seen on the Earth team who didn't show up, and it's because he was just going from mature readers to uh back to the DC universe. Is Green Arrow? I think it would have been really cool to see Green Arrow there. Oh yeah, yeah, th- yeah that would have fit well, really yeah. well. Yeah. All right. On the Earth team, sure. Yeah, on the Earth team. Yeah, absolutely. Six Strike takes place in Superman number 66, cover dated April of 1992, with a story called Our Army at War. Art and story by Dan Jurgens, finished art by Brett Breeding, lettered by John Costanza, and colors by Glenn Whitmore. Our epilogue takes place in Adventures of Superman number 489, cover dated April of 1992. The story titled Hail the Conquering Heroes. Penciled by Tom Grummet, inked by Doug Hazelwood, Jerry Ordway, the writer, Glenn Whitmore, colorist, Albert de Guzman, letterer. As the team of heroes plot their next move, Brainiac, with the help of Warworld Systems, unleashes a massive psychic assault, debilitating most of Superman's forces and a a, a big portion of Warworld citizens as well. Brainiac also unleashes an energy grid upon Metropolis in order to shrink it, even though Superman told Guy Gardner not to let Maxima out of his sight as they cannot trust her. Remember, she switched teams, but they cannot. Uh, Superman's like, no, you're not going out on any mission with us. You're not attacking Brainiac. You're going to stay right here until we can talk later. And says, Guy Gardner, why don't you watch her? To which Guy Gardner is all about it until she's like, what are you, you taking orders from Superman Superman now? And he's like, you're free to go. <laughs> you wonder why it's taken her so long to find someone to mate with her when she manipulates men so well. <laughs> yeah, it's a little on the nose, if you ask me. <laughs> right? I can tell what you're doing here, lady. Um, yeah, but Guy so, can't, so. <laughs> yeah, Guy's an idiot. Gosh, he's an idiot. We love um, so anyway, uh, so he tells Guy Gardner, do not let Maxima out of your sight. She convinces Guy not to listen to Superman, so she ends up joining the fight anyway. The closer Superman and his team get to Brainiac, the heavier the psychic assault. However, Maxima is able to break through Brainiac's chamber. The Flash awakens or just gets up enough to throw a shard of glass, disconnecting Brainiac from controlling Warworld and stopping the threat to Metropolis. This also allows Maxima to use her psychic powers to attack Brainiac. With the psychic attack abated, Superman arrives just in time to stop Maxima from killing Brainiac, but realizes there is not much left of Brainiac's mind as he appears to be nearly lobotomized. In our epilogue, it is decided that Metron will take Brainiac back with him to New Genesis. So Brainiac's just this, like, you know, practically a lifeless husk here. He's, he's, he's there, but he's not there. Metron's going to take him back to New Genesis. Orion and Light Ray will stay on War World to help lead its citizens and guide War World back into space while Superman and the heroes return to Earth. Back in Metropolis, a parade is thrown by Lex Luthor II, where Superman makes a speech about the importance of working together as heroes to face challenges that come their way. And that, my friends, is Panic in the Sky. I you know, won't go into the whole Husk and Emil, uh, Emil Hamilton, Professor Hamilton thing. That takes place in this final issue, and it is a good part of it. Obviously, it's setting up a next story, but it really doesn't factor a whole lot in here to Panic in the Sky. So if you want to check that out, go find the issue and read it. Uh, but, uh, oh, hey. read first. D- you do that. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Olsen. Gets his job back at the Daily Planet, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, Jimmy Olsen has returned to the Daily Planet. 
All right. Good job, Jimmy. Oh, hey, you know what? For, I forgot. The Stinger. The Stinger of, of all this. You know, at the end of that second to last issue, just as Maximus unleashing this assault on Brainiac, he's able to lift his hand up and pull a lever, and a small orb drops out of Warworld, and that's it. I mean, we don't have any idea what that is. doesn't show up in the epilogue. There's not anything that... What could it be? We don't know. There's no, uh, there's no uh, knowledge bestowed upon us here in... Uh, panic in the sky. Other than that, that was grab the lever. You know what it is? Uh, yeah, I'm sure. It's some, uh, you know how when people move, there's that pod service they can have. Okay. Like they leave <laughs> their stuff in the pod and then they take it. That's what it is. Brainiac was uh, moving. He was want to get his stuff to where it was. Last resort is the pod yeah. lever. Okay. I bet that's not it. All right then, that was Panic in the Sky. Dean, we'll start with you, buddy. What do you What do you think of these? Uh, this uh, sixth, so the sixth. Yeah, Six Strike, Epilogue. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I really enjoy how they wrap it up. I wonder what, you know, it's funny to think that, like, News Time is apparently, like, such a uh, company lush with cash. Must be selling, like, 30 trillion copies a week because they send a single photographer in a helicopter to go take pictures of stuff. One photographer that seems like a lot of i know it's panic in the sky or as i always say it in my head like panic in the sky <laughs> but like that seems cost prohibitive if you ask me well <laughs> you know i know exactly where news time is getting that money it's right. it, it is uh distribution and uh printing off and and getting out those anarchist pamphlets he apparently <laughs> picked <laughs> Anarchy's got his fingers in news time. <laughs> Probably. Way to go, Lonnie. Way to go, Lonnie Macklin. I think it's great that like it's a Superman book, but Superman doesn't necessarily save the day. And I think that's important. Normally that would be bad. But a big portion of I think this the series, uh, the story was to get Superman over as a leader, a role model, uh, an icon of the of the DC universe. And so if the team he assembles makes the right decision and gets the job done, then great work. So Maxima, the metal men, and Guy Gardner managed to save the day. It was pretty cool to see like Guy Gardner's like hammer, like do the like like do the maze thing. Like it was it's like Tron or something. It was really cool. I, I enjoy the part of the epilogue where like everybody boom tubes down. I like the part at the end where uh, Captain Marvel and Superman shake hands. And he's like, you did great. It's like, it's great being with you. I really, really um, am into the the Flash, like throwing that shard. Where did he learn to ninja? I respect oh, it. Dude. Don't get me wrong. But like, wow, what a perfect throw. It really wraps everything up nicely. You get a cool speech from Superman, uh, reinforcing that Superman is like the coolest and best dude of all time. You know, just really nice guy who wanted to do the right thing. And he's really happy he was there to do so. And you get a little bit of, uh, I think this little foreshadowing, like, oh, Luther had all this ready to go, huh? So I really like that. I like how uh, Jimmy Olsen gets his job back, and it's all a lot of fun. Everything wraps up neatly in a great way. Everybody gets their moment. And again, I think it's cool that it's other people who beat Brainiac, who wind up, you know, making that happen. I, too, want to know what was in that pod. I don't know off the top of my head, but that was a cool little foreshadowing. There's nothing wrong with this. this is exactly how it should have wrapped up. They really nailed everything. All good stuff, really. I think it closes up nicely. It's good to know Maxima has super shave power so that she can shave any supervillain that may come into her path. 
<laughs> Super shave powers. She needs because to get a per inquiry commercial like the Manscaped people. She's <laughs> fighting Brainiac. He has a beard. She zaps him and he's clean shaven. So oh, that's... man. I, yeah, I was going to say that was one hell of a psychic assault. You know, <laughs> beat, beat him so bad his beard fell off. Yep. <laughs> I like them using the Our Army at War titles, throwback to the Sergeant Rock stuff. Right. Uh, it was a little weird to see Batman using the laser guns. Maybe laser guns are okay. He doesn't necessarily like other guns, laser guns. He's okay with that. Was a little different, but good. Really, I mean, I think it's a good close. It it, it gets you. It wraps it up nicely, I think. And like you said, it's, it's Superman himself doesn't have to do the final punch, but he's assembled the team that allows his team to win. And I think that's important to reestablish him as a, a leader in the DC universe. So that's uh, anyway. Yeah, I liked it. You got a point there with Superman not having to do the final punch because this is a brutal way for. Brainiac to kind of meet the finale of this story. Uh, Superman is not going to lobotomize Brainiac. That's probably not. No, he's going just going to give him to Metron. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Matt, yes. Yeah, like, brain or not, here you go, Metron. Deal with this guy. Maxima is the one that is able to pull the trigger of that gun. She's the one, and that kind of that kind of makes you at least gives it some legitimacy. Like this other baddie took out this other baddie and maybe we know Brainiac's going to come back at some point, but maybe just now Brainiac's hurting. I mean, he's definitely hurting and it, it wasn't in the hands of Superman to do that. It was Maxima that did it, um, which uh, yeah, I appreciate the story for going that route. Yeah, man, I enjoyed this story. This was a, a lot of fun. Uh, you mentioned like where the character was there, some people missing. We talked about that already, but I, I think it, they made obviously a, spe a specific or a special point to try and keep the amount of people down to not make the story feel so er overburdened with, oh, who's that guy? Who's that guy? Who's that guy? What are they doing? Right. Why aren't they doing this? It's told well. I, one of you, um, Dean, you already mentioned it, but I think Matt may have mentioned it in the chat as well. Everybody is on point. Yeah, I get that. I get that for sure that this is uh, the people that are here. They're here and they, it feels like they have a, a reason for being here. And I understand why and what they could do. Do you um, think that like Orion should be the leader of like anything? He's sort of an asshole. I he is, a, him, he like, is a hothead. He's not very sure. like, he's like, Hey, I'll just take this over. It's very reminiscent of like when, uh, you know, obviously this is a bit of a stretch and I don't mean to be, you know, too offensive to anybody or whatever, but like, it's like when like MacArthur was in charge of Japan, you're just going to put a general like, like in charge of this thing. It's kind of, it, I guess it worked out okay in that instance, but I don't think Orion can handle like the diverse, the diverse cultures of war world. I don't know. That might, he, I, I meant to say that earlier. That might not have been the best choice. Did Superman but have the opportunity? You know what I mean? I like say, Orion, you know, he's fairly fresh. Superman's kind of down. He can give a Superman a run for his money when they're both, you know, fully powered. Maybe if Superman's down a little, he could just punch him and, like, you know, win. I don't know. Probably not. But I don't know. If, I don't if know. I was, Who was going to tell him no? Everybody's tired. Let's go home. <laughs> if I'm criticizing anything, it's Superman for making a couple bad decisions here at the end of this story. He's like, well, Ryan, you're good to go for a war world. Metron. The the guy without yeah the guy that's got the ma major mental go ahead and take care of that guy all right I mean now somebody one of you guys mentioned about how it was this wasn't primarily it was rare to see Superman palling around with a bunch of teams during this time is that right yeah I don't think there have been a ton of after Man of Steel I mean you saw him in Legends right 
millennium. But I don't think there were a ton. There certainly weren't a ton in the Superman books. You no. know, Batman showed up for a crossover. But as far as him interacting with the larger DC universe, they asked him to stay. They, I think the Superman office asked him to not be involved in Justice League. And that's where you get the, the ha Justice League. Right. Where he pops in from time to time, but he's not a regular cast member. So I don't think there's a lot of stories between, say, 87 and 91. I guess only three or four years where he's seen as much as the leader of a of a uh, of a DC universe, you know, task force, or whatever. You've, other than legends, I you know you have in that mm-hmm. time frame. Well, even in like think, Invasion, they make it a point to make Captain Adam the guy in charge, right? Like, yeah, and not Millennium, really, the Green Lanterns really are running the show. Like uh, with with Armageddon two thousand one, like that wasn't really a crossover of sorts. Everybody kind of did their own thing in their own annual, and then with Eclipso, he's gone for most of it. Right, and War of the Gods, I actually don't remember how that plays out, but it's Wonder Woman show. Yeah, but this is one of the few times between say Man of Steel and Death of Superman, I guess, where Superman's like, "Hey, I'm the guy. Everybody rally around me." He reforms the Justice League shortly after this, like you were saying, and it's a Jurgens right. era. So I guess you could say at that point, he's kind of reestablished himself as a leader when that Jurgens era Justice League kicks in. I think they realized that whatever benefits that they got from keeping Superman more insular, it wasn't worth the costs. Because like if you're having a shared universe and one guy is almost inarguably the face of said universe, because it's it's Superman or Batman and you can make whichever argument you want. But like it's obviously one of the two. They can't just be fairly insular. It's just not going to work. Just like in the Marvel Universe, you can't be like, hey, time for Spider-Man to just do his own thing. Let's keep Spider-Man out of the crossovers. And sometimes that means Spider-Man's been places he might not should have, but it almost always makes for a good time because it makes it feel like it's part of that universe. Once they got Superman over here, it really congealed this universe in a way for me that I really loved going forward that made me love Zero Hour and uh, The Final Night and DC One Million in a way that I did not enjoy Mm -hmm. When I've read DC crossovers before this, I think having Superman at the center of the crossovers makes the crossovers better. Agreed. I guess if you want to argue, does it make the Superman books better and does it make the Justice League book better? Most of the time, I think yes. I think maybe having a bunch of other people pop in Superman books can get kind of confusing. And I actually think they did a great job with the, you know, the Bahaha League without Agreed. him. Um, but I think it does, if you're going to do big epic crossovers and oh, how are you going to keep Superman out of it without making it seem weird? Like, why wouldn't he be there? Right. It makes perfect sense. I'll read uh, the words of Superman here. Uh, and then, you know, you guys can feel free to, to hop in here and then or we can close up shop however you want to do it. But, you know, as he's gives, giving his speech, Lex gives him the podium. Uh, he says, I, I guess all I can say is that thanks to a team effort, we've defeated a menace who threatened our very existence in the past. I'd always preferred to work alone, But this experience has made me rethink things. Working with these other dedicated folks has shown me that teamwork is a necessity when you're up against a menace more powerful than yourself. So now it says here with the Justice League gone. So, yeah, we're at a point where the Justice League isn't existing. Just like you guys mentioned. Yeah, there was just a crossover in their books called Breakdowns. And the end result was like they lost their United Nations status. And I think Maxwell Lord like is dead, but then not dead and like fixes it towards the end. But at this point, there's effectively no Justice League. There is a void that needs to be filled. This time out, we have filled that void. But tomorrow, that's a topic for another day. You know, I was just thinking, you know who else should have been on the Earth team? Tell me, Gene. The guy 
from the Carnage concert in Madison Square Garden oh, out that no. night, ready no. to fight. He was ready to go. I mean, you got to have him on the team, baby. Put him you on know? the team. I'm on oh, the team. man. What do you That's... care if more world guys get stabbed? Ladies and gentlemen, if you do not go back into the archives and listen to these episodes, understand these inside <laughs> jokes. Uh, I'm, number one, I guess I apologize. Number two, you better get on it. Well, let's go ahead. We'll get into plugs. Matt, man, thank you very much for coming in here and, and hanging out with us. I hope you get to make it back on some more shows. Why don't you go ahead and plug some things? I know you got some things going on there. Uh, Sure. Well, uh, I'm at my shop, Speeding Bullet Comics, right now. You know, we sell some stuff on eBay, uh, Speeding Bullet, or, you know, if you're in Norman, Oklahoma, come on by. We're at 614 North Border in Norman. And we do have a website, speedingbulletcomics.com, although I'm not trying real hard to sell you things there, but it is there. Uh, you can visit us on Facebook. It's just facebook.com slash speedingbullet. We'd love to chat with you if you want to chat with us there. Uh, you can follow a lot of my writing at matthewlprice.com, which rounds up most of my columns for the Oklahoman and occasional other stuff I do in film or comics or whatever else I've got going on at the moment. And I guess that probably covers it. Yeah. So right, those are those are the high points right now. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here, man. Dean Compton, The Unspoken Decade. Tell us all about it. All right, man. Well, unspokendecade.com is where you can find a lot of blogs. Here's the part where I say I'm going to write something soon, but I'm not. So don't fall for that. I plan to. I'd like to, but I just hurt my wrist. How am I going to do that? That's a shoot, too. I did just hurt my wrist. But we are there. Uh, Simbi fan just did an article about the Toxic Avenger, the Marvel series from the early 90s. He's got that going. Uh, I post a lot of comic book stuff, a lot of 90s stuff over at Twitter. Uh, that's at Unspoken Decade. We're on Facebook. Just search for the Unspoken Decade. If you if, you know if, if you find any of this stuff uh, interesting, send me an inbox. I'll send you more pictures. You can ask these guys. I love to send people pictures of comic books. So you know those are really the plugs there, man. What a great time! What a great time! That's right. Listen, uh, aside from Unspoken Issues, uh, which is you can find that on Facebook, the Unspoken Issues podcast facebook page you can come on there interact with us we do polls every once in a while we let you pick the book every once in a while that we're going to cover that's happened in the past just recently we dropped uh extreme justice number zero where chris armstrong and myself took a look at that issue get ready zero right yeah (laughs) get ready that's actually uh, i like that was booster gold's uh costume rating was zero Listen, I, I, this is going to be airing after this, but I, 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 we recorded this probably about a week ago. Chris Armstrong and myself sat down to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Image Comics, and we looked at all seven founders, their number one books when Image Comics launched. Uh, well, I should say their launch titles, because Wills, unfortunately, didn't get He got in there a little bit late. But look, we ranked them four-hour podcast, but guess what? We chopped it down into eight episodes, and you're probably only going to have to listen to 10, 15 minutes of us talking about each each uh, issue and how much we loved. Uh, and we're counting down, like I said, seven to one. So who's going to be number one? You'll have to tune in to find out or go back in the archive and find it because that was a lot of fun. And, of course, I will not sleep on my Source Material Comics podcast as well. We cover just about anything on there. We're not 90-centric. Anyway, that's it for me. Shout-out to the W2M Network. Uh, and they're uh, obviously putting the power behind this podcast. So check uh, check out that website and check out that uh, Facebook page for W2M Network. That's it. We are out of here for Matthew Price, for Dean Compton. I'm Jesse Starcher. This has been Unspoken Issues. Panic in the sky has been averted. Thanks to Superman. We're out of here. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. 
Unspoken Issues is part of the UnspokenDecade.com, the home for 90s comics, blogs, and podcasts. Unspoken Issues also has a Facebook group you can join if you are interested. Just search the Unspoken Issues podcast and request to join. All of this would not be possible without W2Mnet.com and the Rattelich and Broadcasting Network, so make sure to seek them out for more podcasts. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please feel free to share, and we look forward to entertaining you again soon. (laughs) 